0: Welcome to No More Mondays, the podcast that helps you navigate career challenges through the wisdom of professionals who have been at the same crossroads. I'm your host, Angie Callen, and I welcome you to join me each week as I chat with leaders, entrepreneurs, and employees who are here to share practical, tactical advice and some inspiration on how they arrived at career satisfaction. From job searching and career changes to going out on your own, We're breaking down barriers and providing actionable takeaways to help you take charge of your Mondays and ditch the Sunday blues. Welcome to the No More Mondays movement. Hello, everyone, and welcome to No More Mondays. I am your host, Angie Callen. Know your niche. You hear this time and time again if you're a business owner or if you're in marketing, and I am a broken record when it comes to telling people the exact same thing about their careers or their job search. Get clarity, know your target, essentially know your niche. Jim Young is a perfect example of somebody who knows exactly who he's trying to help and exactly how he wants to help them. Literally, if you go to his LinkedIn profile, which I did earlier today, it says, I'm here to do four things. Help men defeat burnout, help teams and organizations defeat burnout, help foster more inclusive cultures, help people get through the challenges of doing one, two, and three. How clear is that? Jim and I are going to dig into that clarity, but also, more importantly, get into this topic of burnout and how all of us can create roadmaps to a more fulfilling life and also enable our teams to do the same, no matter what gender we are. So I hope you will all help me welcome to the show executive coach, facilitator, speaker, and now author, Jim Young. Jim, welcome to No More Mondays.
1: Angie, thank you so much. I have been excited to be on this show since we first connected a while back, and I can't wait to get started.
0: Likewise. And so all of you know out there for the three of you who are No More Mondays fans and listen to every single podcast. <laughs> hi, mom. Uh, Jim came to us through uh, through our no, our podcaster network, jo- John Saunders, who has the distinction of being the only two-time guest as of right now. And anybody he sends my way, I tend to love chatting with. And so let's get into this. And this is fun because Jim and I haven't sat down and dug into this stuff together. So I kind of get to hear it all while you're hearing it all. But Let's just I want to I want to hear about the burnout. You said it yourself kind of in your bio that you've experienced it. And typically yeah. in coaching, I think your strongest perspective is the one that you've been through yourself. And it's kind of framed how you now look at this and how you serve people. So tell, kind of tell us your burnout story. Give us your backstory sure. and, and how you came to be here and how burnout really impacted it.
1: Yeah. My burnout story is probably a series of stories and I'll try and dot them a little bit to connect them. It really starts when I was about nine years old and my mom told me to take out the trash, um, which is maybe like, how does that affect burnout? Well, my mom had just kicked out an abusive boyfriend and he used to take care of stuff like that. And she said, Hey, it's Tuesday night. It's trash night. You're now the man of the house. So you need to take out the trash. So that was the loaded statement. And taking on this mantle of man of the house at nine years old, I was totally not ready for that as no nine year old really is. And yet I had this expectation that, well, I should just do it. And that's a belief that I took on at about nine years old that I carried for a really long time. Um, as we, might say outside of Boston. I know you spent some time there. I, I carried it for a wicked long time.
0: Wicked long time. Wicked it's, long. That's perfect.
1: And yeah, you know, so that was the first, uh, I, I call that a burnout seed that, that was planted in me, was this belief that I should just man up and take, take on whatever that responsibility is. I shouldn't have feelings about it. If I do, I should just shut them down and I don't need to ask for help. And I came to find out later on that those were really some, some rules that I had picked up from society, even though nobody said them to me, but I learned like, you don't ask for help. You don't show weakness roll forward into my early adulthood years. I didn't, Yeah, you know, I already had that, that set of beliefs going on and I didn't know what to do for a career. And, and I, I had this conversation with my soon to be father-in-law and he asked me like, so what do you, you know, what do you do for work? our first time meeting. And I said, well, I didn't really want to tell him that I was selling cable TV door to door. That's what I was doing. As I said, there used
0: to be this thing called door to door salesman. Everybody (laughs) who's 28 years old and younger out there, Uh, go watch the cable guy with Jim Carrey. You'll understand.
1: Yeah. And it's way more glamorous when Jim Carrey does it than when I did it. That's
0: actually a good point.
1: (laughs) Uh, So I just remember having this conversation with my my future father-in-law where I wanted to impress this guy and I didn't feel like I had something to impress him. And I don't, I actually didn't do a very good job. So the way that conversation, I, I was really awkward. And then it, he, he, I could tell he was disappointed that I like this, this guy that his daughter brought home didn't really seem to have his act together. And, and he asked me this question, like, well, what do you, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I answered, what I didn't want to do, which I, I was like, I don't want to get up early in the morning, put on a tie and go into an office which is exactly what he'd been doing for like 40 years. So I I like slapped him in the face metaphorically with this, like that's a stupid thing to do. And I felt it like he kind of scoffed at that. And I could tell I had said totally the wrong thing. And like six months later, I was doing that exact thing. And I did that for 20 years. And so again, I was doing things that were just not, who I was. I was just taking these messages and saying, I have to do it because that's what it is to be a man. And that's, you know, that's what got me into burnout.
0: So I find it so interesting that you've been able to, because I think, I think I can probably go out on a limb and say that when you were nine years old, taking out the trash, you didn't, you know, you weren't burnout taking the trash. It was more the symbol, what it symbolized and didn't realize that until hindsight, that was that kind of seed. I think that's a really interesting way to kind of frame it and that you had this kind of like propensity to just be doing the things that were kind of expected of you versus looking at, wait a minute, is, is this something I need to be doing, should be doing um, or is, is it constructive to kind of the way I want to live?
1: Yeah. And what it really was, it was constructing this narrative of how do I fit in to being a man and not necessarily right at nine years old, but that that belief started there. And then it just, I kept building on it. And I was this constructed version of myself that wasn't really myself.
0: I think it's so interesting. Anecdotally, I think it's so interesting when like common themes present themselves to us. And this is a very good case of a common theme that was happening for Years, decades that finally created this like culmination of realizations. Right. But I've also been having this conversation a lot lately and I'm like, okay, what world, what is the world trying to tell me here around this idea of what are the belief systems or the rules that have been kind of handed to us and placed upon us? Do we Mm -hmm. intentionally want those or don't want those? And are they healthy for us?
1: I explore that a ton in, in my book. Because what I really discovered as I, as I dug into the, into what had happened to me was that it was this unconscious picking up of social rules for men. And there are social rules for women. There are social rules for all of us. And for men, what I, what I experienced was be in control, be successful, be strong, don't ask for help, don't ever reveal your emotions, especially to another guy. And that, combination of rules if you actually sit down and like walk through those and you think like is that possible i don't think so it's a recipe for disaster and it it certainly was
0: for me no wonder we're all just so spun up it's really it's really interesting so uh jim knows this and this won't air this will air not on the day we're recording it but today is my 10-year anniversary with my my husband jim And I was thinking this morning um, about like a LinkedIn post that I also haven't posted yet. So it's almost like I'm talking about all this stuff that you're going to hear about after it actually happens (laughs) um, about kind of like almost what I have learned through 10 years of marriage and how that kind of relates to our professional world, because it's also intertwined. But what is so interesting is like one of the three little pieces that I kind of jotted down as I was thinking through that is the idea of kind of our assumptions around gender roles and the rules that we have, have we as a society have kind of placed on that, and how in you know in our relationship that has been one of the reasons. Not following those gender roles has been one of the reasons we're so successful because our strengths lie in varying places there instead of just forcing each of us into like what you would traditionally do as a you know as a spouse. And I think that that's that rolls up to the bigger message here of kind of looking at your strengths in the way that. You want to do life and work as a more constructive, efficient and satisfying way to go about things versus this kind of like societal, quote unquote, norm.
1: I love that you brought that up, Angie, because another part of my burnout story is in my personal life, in my marriage, my marriage didn't survive my burnout. And I think a lot of it is because we adopted the traditional gender roles. I was the provider I worked full time. She stayed home with the kids. It wasn't good for either of us. I'm a nurturer at heart. Like I really love being a parent. I love, you know, connecting with people and taking care of them. And I wasn't supposed to be doing that. That's not what my role was supposed to be. And her role was supposed to be. And she, you know, we're both good at both things. She really missed being a provider and a creator and i think that was a that that's a part that doesn't get talked about enough. burnout gets classified as a workplace condition, that's what the who calls it, and it's so much more than that.
0: It's i think it's a life condition. Yeah. And so this is perfect to now kind of get into how based on your experience with all of this, have you turned this into uh you know, a methodology or a delivery mechanism to help people through it. So, um this is also not something that's like oh, here's a tool, you'll be better tomorrow. It's really a process. Right. So kind of how how do you approach that with kind of, kind of your clients or people working through this?
1: As you noted at the top of the show, coaches often find their best niche from what they know, from personal experience. And I didn't figure out on the way through burnout how I got through it. It was hindsight as things often, as we often learn our lessons And what I learned after I had been out of burnout, and it actually took me probably like a year or more after I was really out of burnout to recognize that I was even out. And I started to look at how did I get out? Because there wasn't some grand plan that I was following. I was getting some support and, you know, help with therapy and coaching. What I found was not at all what I expected. It wasn't that I fixed my schedule found more time with my kids, changed jobs. Like, yeah, I did all of those things. But really what I did that was transformational was I started investing in intimate relationships. I started opening myself up to be my real self to all the people around me. And so my book is called Expansive Intimacy, How Tough Guys Defeat Burnout. Because I, 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 started using intimacy as a tool in every area of my life, not just with a romantic partner, which is what we traditionally think of. We make it this narrow path. I said, I'm going to have intimacy with everybody. I didn't say that, but I did it and it felt so good. I have Friends that I can be intimate with. I have intimate relations with my kids in the appropriate ways to, to bring intimacy into that relationship. I have a partner. Like it just changed everything for me.
0: I think it's so interesting because you guys can't see Jim, but his book is sitting behind him. And it's as we are sitting here talking, I lo- I also love that it makes it almost makes me a little uncomfortable. And I think that that's probably part of the charm of all of it, because mm-hmm. I'm sitting here looking at expansive intimacy on a book cover while we're talking about your burnout in the professional life. And that word intimacy is so often attached to our romantic relationships yeah. that we forget that we're permitted and we should have meaningful, I think could be the safer word that that people don't go, oh, I can't be intimate with my coworkers. You can have a meaningful relationship with them. And that's much more kind of fulfilling to the overall picture. And over the last three years, I think that that's something we're all craving. And a lot of people don't realize how disconnected we've become. And I think it was starting before, you know, in the before days, we were still becoming increasingly more, more and more disconnected. And I think it's just a really interesting concept to say, You know, when you're going through burnout, first of all, you don't realize you're going you're you're Mm -hmm. becoming burnout until you're there, which I think is one of the hard things, because at that point, you're pretty broken and you got to put yourself back together. And there's some practical pieces to that, reducing the schedule, exercise and some of that stuff. But it goes so much more uh, around this kind of like emotional, physical idea of fulfilling yourself through the relationships and what that gives us.
1: I saw something yesterday. I just want to lift it up again because Trevor Noah, I think is a genius. He's, he's smart. He's funny. He's so relatable. And sometimes he'll tackle a really big topic. And he had a between the scenes segment on his show where he talked about men and intimacy. He was actually talking about something that was trending for a little while on Twitter about this concept of a right to sex. And The way he put it together was that we so often conflate sex and intimacy that it can be uncomfortable to see the book title and think like, oh my God, we're talking about these things that aren't about intimacy, but it's intimacy. And what he's, what he talks about, and he's also like, I, like I am in the book talking about men and how we mistake, because we mistake sex for intimacy, there are things that we want in life that we don't give ourselves permission for because we don't think we can have them outside of that one relationship or if you're polyamorous, multiple relationships. And there's one moment in that segment where he's, he's making his point and he's saying, talking about sex workers and how sometimes sex workers say men will show up in the hotel room or wherever. And they'll say, would you just talk to me or would you just hold me? And he says, you know, men sometimes just want to be held And the audience laughs and it's this uncomfortable, like tense sort of laugh. They want it to be a joke and it's not because that's not manly. Like, I just want someone to hold me. Oh, my God. How could you say that if you're a guy?
0: And especially I feel like American culture really perpetuates the idea that. Men, and I love that we're talking about men. I talk a lot with other women about women, the challenges women face in their professional lives. And I think that this is definitely carryover applicable. But I think it's so interesting because like there are very specific um, challenges that we face as the varying genders and the uh, the assumptions or rules kind of placed on us. And I think what's so interesting about this is it comes to that kind of idea that vulnerability. We, we look at vulnerability as a weakness and Mm -hmm. it isn't, it's actually can be very, very much a strength because it can lead to that intimacy and a deeper level of connection than you can get. If you just have to put up that facade and go, Oh, I'm the tough guy. And I can't, you know, I'm not going to break down any kind of walls. And I think as we get into some of the team leader stuff, I want to touch on that can really, really create a roadblock to, to success because you aren't willing to be open to those relationships.
1: Absolutely. And, and the subtitle of my book is how tough guys defeat burnout and the tough guys is in quotes. It, oh, that's I so perfect. flip the idea of what a tough guy is because a tough guy in our modern culture takes it on the chin. Like we know that version of tough guy and it's not working so well. What's tougher is if, especially if you're one of those guys who's like, I'm a tough guy, I just take it on the chin. I don't let anything get to me is to be vulnerable. That's hard. I, I went through a process of over a period of years of instead of holding everything inside saying like, okay, I'm going to start sharing this stuff. It was really, it required me to be a lot tougher.
0: It's funny because I think yesterday, and I would I would guess that it was probably at the exact moment that you were uh, tuned into Trevor Noah, which by the way, we're going to link that in the show notes, everybody, Please. along with the what I'm about to talk about is I was listening to a blink total squirrel for a second if you have not come across an app called blinkist it's awesome go check it out it's basically podcast meets cliff notes and again if you're under the age of 30 you're going was a cliff's notes but <laughs> hey there you go 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 google that um and it, it's a book called remarkable and they talk exactly about the vulnerability piece and mm-hmm. how we look at it as a weakness instead of a strength and i'm curious from like a practical perspective what advice do you have for people who are like in this place, maybe they know they're burnt out or they see it coming around the corner, they're overwhelmed, they're Mm -hmm. struggling to be vulnerable and to create that, those healthy, intimate relationships, you know, what advice do you give them?
1: I'm going to show, not tell. So I got an example from last week. I got a text message from the wife, a client of mine, CEO, founder of a a very um, male dominated industry business. And. I'm thinking, she says, you know, do you have a couple minutes for a call? And I'm like, oh no, like that's never a good thing. Like the wife of your client is texting you in the middle of the afternoon. And I'm like, yeah, sure. You know, give me a call. And I, I picked up the phone and she says, I just want, I'm going to change the, the name, uh, here. Uh, I just want to tell you, uh, we had our all company meeting two weeks ago and Dave got up in front of the whole company. And he told this story of the most difficult time in his ownership of the business in his career where he was coming out of bankruptcy. Uh, he was going through, you know, th- some other personal challenges and the whole tone of the room change. You saw everybody open up. You saw everybody bond with him in that instance because they put him on this pedestal. They think he's bulletproof. He's unapproachable. And he revealed his humanity to everybody. And the whole tone of what's going on in that business has shifted because he was able to tell a vulnerable story. And so that, like, to me, it's storytelling is one of the most uh, powerful tools that we have in our toolkit and saying, okay, what's the story that I can tell that's a little bit beyond my comfort zone to start opening up as a, a human and connecting other people with me.
0: And it's the word there that I, I was in my head was the like human. We are all humans. Yeah. And I think unfortunately classes have come into play where like some humans are valued other more than others. But at the end of the day, we are, we are all in this world together. And I think when you create the sense of relatability like Dave did, Mm -hmm. that's when people look at you and go, oh, you're not untouchable. You're one of me. You're just in a different spot in life. And I think that that creates a much healthier level of respect, commitment and motivation. Also, just even down to like a team level, you've just endeared your staff to you in a way that now they're going to be you know, more productive and interested and motivated in helping that kind of bottom line. So there's a very practical outcome that can happen there in addition to the kind of like mental and emotional component.
1: I learned an expression 10 or 15 years ago that stuck with me ever since that every one of us is carrying around at least one secret that if you knew it, it would break your heart. That to me is humanity and when when dave or other ceos leaders open up themselves to their real humanity it makes them trust more trustworthy because if if you if you know anybody in the world and i'm talking to you angie and any any of the the listeners you know anybody who's never gone through a struggle could you introduce them to me please because i would love to meet
0: likewise, them likewise i would like to meet them too
1: yeah it's normal burnout is a normal thing Stress is a normal thing. Fear, worry, shame, all of that is normal.
0: I think that one of the interesting things, well, we've heard this cliche, That cliche, you've seen it be kind because, you know, never know what somebody else is going through. And I think no one is perfect and no one's had a perfect life that if there is a certainty other than death and taxes, there it is. Mm -hmm. And I think what's what the variation there is that we all look at different things differently. And so one person's challenge, somebody else might think, well, wait, that's your that's your big deal. But to them, it is. And so I think having an understanding and a compassion and a sympathy and even an empathy, if you can actually relate to it, Mm -hmm. is a really important aspect to helping all of us live in a little bit more of a, you know, to be say, balanced life, um, where we're not pushing ourselves. Yeah, we're not pushing ourselves to that level of burnout so much.
1: Mm -hmm. And you also mentioned a word just now that was a key part of my story. And I think is a key part of the puzzle for a lot of people who go and get into burnout. And and that's perfection. Perfectionism is false. It's. and, And I think our leadership culture, we expect these leaders to be perfect, that they have all the answers that they don't have any struggles or problems. And that sets them up for failure because if they buy into that narrative and there's a lot of reasons why they feel like they might need to, to, you know, to not show weakness in particular, I think is a big one for guys. We get into perfectionism, which is just a, an invitation to shame because we're going to fail. And then we feel like, Oh, I I didn't do it right. So I'm going to work harder to be perfect again the next time. And that's a burnout cycle. It's a shame burnout cycle. I write about that in the book as well, that shame is such a powerful force in creating burnout and keeping people in it.
0: Perfectionism. I'm just gonna put it out there, and I'm just gonna say it, super direct, like it is. Perfectionism is a weakness, not a strength.
1: Hmm. Amen. Hallelujah. Huzzah.
0: Yeah. All the things. Eighty percent. Eighty is good enough, everybody. <laughs> yeah. uh, because yeah. to, you know, and there's there there's a there's a range here depending on the situation. If you're a surgeon, eighty percent ain't good enough. However. Uh, in a, most of our in most situations, especially in life, we hold ourselves to a standard that you're just never going to meet. And if you can temper that, you will save yourself a whole lot of grief and also a whole lot of time.
1: Mm-hmm. The energy of getting that extra 20 percent when you don't actually need it is it, it's so expensive.
0: Yeah. It isn't worth the ROI. It's also like cover letters. That's just a funny anecdote. So <laughs> let's, let's talk about, yeah, exactly. For those Do of I you still need 30. a cover letter? <laughs> exactly. Do I still need a cover letter? That's a whole pod different podcast, Jim. Uh-huh. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about the book. Uh, yeah. I love that it's been peppered in throughout, but I would love for to just to kind of hear your experience and finally getting to put this out there to the world and what people are going to get out of it when they go pick it up.
1: Yeah. Thanks for that invitation when I think about the book and the whole journey of it, it's kind of a blur. I wrote the book in less than a year. I'd been thinking about writing a book for quite a while. I had multiple ideas. And I remember having a distinct conversation with a friend of mine who's a literary agent about four years ago, and I first started my business. I said, I wanna write a book. And she said, wait a few years. (laughs) And when I did, it was the right time. I had done some work about a year and a half ago with somebody around some branding. And I got super clear as my linkedin profile suggests of what do i do what is my niche and i was like oh i'm a burnout coach for man for organizations and then i knew like oh the story that i want to tell is in service of being vulnerable to my own story to model some things to crack open the hey it's okay when we go through this but also i hadn't seen any resources out there that were specific to men's burnout. I'd seen some really fantastic resources that spoke to women's experience of burnout or millennials experience of burnout. And I wanted to take something that I was seeing in a lot of my clients and start to put something together. So what, what people can expect in the book is I do a bunch of stories. I tell my own story. I tell a lot of other men's stories because I want people to see the relatability of this issue. So defining burnout, because it's a little fuzzy for a lot of people. So I walked through a lot of that. But actually, as I was writing the book, my developmental editor gave me a comment one day. I had He said, um, what's the role of stigma in this stat that I was quoting? And I was like, huh, I don't know. It's a great question. I went out and I started doing some research. And that very quickly led me into shame. I was like, oh. Shame is such a huge part of burnout for me it was and I think it is for a lot of guys and I then interviewed a lot of guys around that and it it is like those rules I commented on before be successful be strong don't ask for help don't reveal your emotions if we don't adhere to those rules we're labeled we're called names they're all in the category of weakness and that's not masculine and it creates shame. And so we're running away from that all the time and sometimes running ourselves in circles into burnout.
0: The two biggest fears we all have, if you really get down to the root of it, is that we're not good enough or yeah. we won't be accepted. Yep. And that's where this all comes from. And I think it's just so like, beautifully ironic in a way that the very topic we're speaking of had no resources out there because Mm -hmm. it is a taboo topic no one wants to address so who was going to write the book on men's burnout because we shouldn't talk about men's burnout yet there is very much needs to be talk about men's burnout so very glad you fulfilled that niche and it really does come down to that idea of i won't be accepted because i'm not masculine enough or i'm not good enough because i'm not masculine enough and breaking down that stigma just like your development editor said
1: and even once i had pushed myself over the, the edge to say I'm going to be the guy who writes about burnout. When I got the invitation in that process to write about shame, I was like, oh, no, not me. I don't want to write about shame. Talk about topics that are not manly.
0: Yeah. who And, and who wants to go compete with Brene Brown? Yeah. But I mean, still b- huge
1: inspiration. I was psyched. My book is sitting next to her book in my local bookstore. I was like, oh, my God, (laughs) that's a moment.
0: In a a way, she she may have kind of uh, pioneered a path to make shame as a topic a little less taboo to speak of, which left room to therefore speak specifically around shame in men and the vulnerabilities and all the things that kind of culminate into this burnout.
1: Totally. So I started with a chapter on shame and then it became a section of the book because there's just so much to explore that I could probably write an entire second book on men's shame and, and how it, it manifests in all kinds of ways. What I saw though was this really interesting dynamic that, okay, so so burnout was a big factor that got me into shame. I was running away from these, you know, barbs that I might get thrown if I wasn't manly enough. But once I got into burnout, it kept me in because like i can't say i'm burned out as a guy that's shameful that's even doubly shameful and eventually it broke me i was i was literally laid out by the state of burnout that i was in and i had to start sharing i just had to start talking about it therapists uh, support groups mentors friends eventually you know lots of people and what i discovered this is how i discovered expansive intimacy was that when I shared my shame, and this is a, a teaching that I learned from Brene Brown, uh, some of her books, when I shared my shame, instead of getting the rejection that we fear, what I got was accepted. I got seen and I got like, oh, yeah, I've been through something like that, too. And I cre- And we created a bond. And I was like, oh, now I can be myself. I can talk about what's real. And that's where expansive intimacy got born.
0: I just got a little bit of the chills because basically it, at the very in a very like at its very core, it's the things that we feel are our biggest weaknesses typically end up being the biggest opportunity to connect. So going all the way back to yeah. that idea of how can we be more intimate if you're actually if you're vulnerable, vulnerable, it will perpetuate a much more positive cycle than the negative reaction that we tend to make up in our heads.
1: Yeah, exactly. It, there's so much fear sitting there and if we just kind of prick that balloon of fear and allow ourselves to take the risk, which chapter 12 of the book is my my one semi-prescriptive part of the book because everybody needs instructions and a and a model and that's what we love in as a society. Um so and you you teased it out a little bit like there's no quick fix here. I'm not offering that because it, there just isn't one for such a complex issue as burnout, but taking risks to reveal ourselves to people in ways that open up our ability to be seen and to see each other and then have all these ways that we can be with each other in relationships. We can talk about our fears. We can talk about our stresses. We can celebrate our joys, which again, not manly to be joyful, but I'm joyful. And so it's, you know, yeah. So that there's, a, there's a little bit of prescription in uh, chapter 12, but it's really ultimately comes down to taking risks to be yourself.
0: Open up. It's worth it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well said.
0: <laughs> Heck yeah. All right. Yeah. So we're going to shift gears. And speaking of like practical little pieces of advice and prescriptions... Uh, we're going to do a little, let's do, we call I don't know if I should call this a game anymore. We've got to figure it out, but oh, I, love games. I call it rapid fire rec- recommendations. It isn't really a game and it's not really rapid. So if you've got a suggestion <laughs> on what I should really call this after experiencing it, you can let me know, Jim. But Excellent. the first question is we just kind of get to know you and, and how you tick is, uh, what's your most memorable travel destination?
1: Ireland. I flew there with my, uh, then fiance to go see you too. Um, we spent a week in Ireland. We drove around the country. We stayed actually at Bono and the edges boutique hotel in Dublin, drove around and we came back to Dublin and we went to this epic concert, uh, 20 kilometers outside of Dublin. That was, there's like a hundred thousand people on the grounds of this Scottish, God- uh, Irish ruins, this castle. And it was like an all-day festival with the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Coldplay and U2 who was playing on Irish Soil for the first time in like five years. And it was unbelievable.
0: Uh, Every Gen Xer who listens to this show is (laughs) seething with jealousy right now. And I feel like that might have been the same year I saw them and the Chili Peppers at Bonnaroo, which that's a whole other story too. Anyway, don't go to Bonnaroo after you're 22. That would be my lesson there. So uh, I'm excited about the next one because we already have one great book recommendation, Expansive Intimacy, which Mm. will be linked in the show notes. But I would love a second reading recommendation for everybody out there from you.
1: Oh, it's really hard to not share my partner's book that she just wrote called The Spotlight of Love, which is fantastic tools and insights for couples, um, because I've learned so much from my partner. Um, and uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll put that as a pin. But one of the books that has been so helpful for me over the years, I've read it, uh, I probably read it every two or three years, is The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. <gasps>
0: And it is one you need to read it like every year.
1: You do. You'll get
0: something different. It's a simple story, but you get something different out of it every time you read it. It's
1: rich, it's beautiful, and it's profound.
0: It's, you know, it's so weird. I was reading another book the other day and there was a two or three line quote from The Alchemist in this book. And it made Mm. me think, I need to go read The Alchemist again. Mm. And you just reinforce the fact that that will be the thing I take off of my shelf next.
1: Can I give one more bonus?
0: Of course you can.
1: Awesome. The Book of Awakening by Mark Nepo, which is a gorgeous collection of stories, meditations that are offered as one per day. And this man is such an incredible writer and so, so skilled at bringing forth spirit. It's one of my favorite practices is to read a a page out of the Book of Awakening by Mark Nepo every day.
0: Oh, I love when we get collections. And all a, a lot of that is new to me other than The Alchemist, but that was a reinforcement to read it again. So uh, yeah. that's a good list. I love it. And uh, while we're on good resources, do you have a podcast you want to throw out that's great to listen to?
1: I'd love to throw out a couple in the realm of men's work. Shayna James. Um, boy, I'm going to forget exactly what the title of her podcast is. And I'm sorry for that, Shayna. She has a podcast that is, she's a fantastic coach for men, especially around intimacy and and relationships. And so she's, she's got a terrific podcast, Shana, S-H-A-N-A, James. Um, I'm also a big fan of uh, the Mankind podcast. Uh, it's hosted by the Mankind Project, Brandon Clift and Boyce and Hodgson. They do amazing work. Um, so, you know, always have amazing guests on there.
0: I love people who are like, yeah, you need all these things. Yes, those yeah. are great, and we'll we'll find Shana's podcast and uh, and link it here too, everybody, because you all are going to the show notes because there's like no short of like a dozen links you all need, especially if you're a man out there trying to figure out how yeah. to have a better life. Jim's your guy. There's
1: so many good resources out there for guys as well. I think there's we need to make them, you know, get them to the surface.
0: Exactly, and yeah, they're becoming a little bit more readily available. Um, And of course, this is a show about Mondays. So what's the first word that comes to mind when I say Monday?
1: Opportunity, which is not at all the word that I used to use. I so enjoy and look forward to what I get to do in my work these days. And that was that was not always the case. And so like my my work is now about opportunity and maybe possibility would, would have been an even better word.
0: We'll let you have two, just like you got a You just got bonus book recommendations. You can have a bonus word for Mondays.
1: I'm so usually not the person who asks for more. So this is great that I get to do this. <laughs> That's <year>. OK.
0: <laughs> Come bring it on. Bring it on, Jim. And if if, uh, if you're out there and you're like, oh, man, my word for Monday is dread or my word for Monday is Sunday scaries, uh, yeah. we have an email that comes out weekly for that. There's a shameless plug. But also if if your word for Monday is anything less than a neutral <laughs> outlook on it, do something about it. That was my recommendation. I'm not going to tell you what necessarily you should do because it depends on how you look at, at the start to the week. But if you're really not looking at them favorably, that means it's taking energy from you before you even start. So, uh, opportunity and possibility are two great ways to kind of, or two great perspectives and goals to look at, at Mondays. So Jim, as we start to kind of wind things down here, I want to make sure everybody can follow along with you. Find the book. How do they? How do they track your journey? How do they buy expansive intimacy?
1: My business is called The Centered Coach. That's uh, where you also would find me. TheCenteredCoach.com is really the one-stop shop to find anything about me about the book. You can find my LinkedIn there, blog posts that I've written over the years, uh, and if you're ever interested in working with me, there's lots of information about that too.
0: And you can find Jim through my network on LinkedIn as well. We connected just before the show and also again on nomoremondays.info where you're going to have no less than a dozen links to all kinds of really good things. And we're going to give you all one more before Jim and I say goodbye. So I want to know what's your number one piece of advice for what uh, everyone out there can do to get one step closer to career satisfaction.
1: Mm, My number one piece of advice for people who want to get to career satisfaction is just keep asking yourself and answering really honestly, what do you want? We don't ask ourselves that question often enough. And when we get really honest with ourselves about it, we can say, "Mm, it's not this, it's that, or it's just a shift in something even.
0: And I'll add, I'm going to add two little pieces to that to just enhance, I think enhance it is if you're going to allow yourself to be honest with where you're at in your career or your life, if you're going to allow yourself to be honest with, with it, you have to be okay with the answers. Yeah.
1: I'll add something to it, which is allow the dreams that might come up in what you want to be a possibility.
0: And sometimes knowing what you don't want is a, is a more constructive start to things than you think it is just going back to your kind of opening story about how you didn't want to be in a shirt and tie and then went and did the very thing that you knew you didn't want to do. I bet you confirmed that's what you didn't want. So you can kind of start to flip that on its head. That's right. But I think if you're if you allow yourself to be honest with what you want and you're OK with the results, you can begin taking steps towards obtaining it. Great piece of advice, Jim, as we kind of close this out. There's been this is such a great conversation. It's different than a lot of conversations I've gotten to have. And I hope all of the men out there listening will really just kind of like tune into this message that Jim has that it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to have intimate relationships with people. It's okay to not be the manliest of men out there. And a lot of good will come from sharing your story and opening up to the people around you personally and professionally.
1: And the only thing I'd like to enhance that with is that you are actually a manlier man. You get to hold on to all the traditional tough guy stuff and bring in the new tough guy stuff. Yes. And yeah.
0: So why wouldn't you want all of that? Best of both worlds. Exactly. Jim, this has been so good. I could just like pepper you with questions and we could pull in little anecdotes all day long. So I wouldn't be surprised if like, John, you're like the next person that gets two episodes, but I'm so glad that you decided to join us. Thank you for joining the No More Mondays movement. Congratulations on the book. Everybody go buy it. And until next time, Jim, thank you for sharing your wisdom and being vulnerable with us.
1: Angie, thank you so much for having me. And if you ever want to have me back again, I'd love it because this was super fun.
0: Yeah, totally fun. We always love hearing from people who have successfully navigated career and life crossroads, charted a path to success and fulfillment. Jim is one of those, and he's helping people do the same. And we love that even more. Tons of great practical and aspirational advice here. So I hope all of you out there took some notes. We'll re-listen. We'll grab all of Jim's resources and tune in to all the great advice he has to offer. And for all of you out there listening, I would love for you to subscribe to No More Mondays. Leave us a five-star rating because Jim and I are the two coolest people on earth right now. (laughs) And it's a huge help as we continue to inspire people to have a more fulfilling life everywhere with these kind of great stories. Uh, leave us comments, feedbacks, guest suggestions, grab the show notes at nomoremondays.info. And I will see you next week when we drop another episode of no more Mondays. Thanks for joining us for another episode of no more Mondays. Tune in next week as we bring you more insights and actions to help you improve your professional life and find career satisfaction. Don't forget. Visit us online at nomoremondays.info for all the details, show notes, and recommendations from this episode. No More Mondays, we drop new episodes every Wednesday. No More Mondays is brought to you by Career Benders, Inc. in partnership with executive producer, Jane Durkee. For more information about career coaching, resume writing, personal branding, recruiting, and entrepreneurship coaching services, visit our website at careerbenders.com.